Hello, good morning, good afternoon. I'm Ali Aji, Chief Executive Officer, Director and Co-Founder of Ion Energy Limited, a company with two assets in Mongolia and two assets in the Northwest Territories in Canada. Looking for Let's see. Ali, good to see you. Uh, we haven't seen you, I think, since the end of last year, October-ish last year. It's been quite the ride for you and the lithium market since then. Um, how, how are you viewing the lithium market at the moment? Is, it, is there still hope? Uh, there's certainly hope. I think, you know, we haven't found an alternative uh, to our battery requirements. Uh, yes, lithium prices have come down, but we've always said that they should. Otherwise, a Mini Cooper would be unaffordable to most. And uh, they've certainly come down, you know, the spot pricing uh, that we're seeing in China now is coming to, to a bit of an end there. We've seen prices hit uh, uh, quite a minimum, but uh, I believe lithium industry as a whole is starting to support each other, which is seldom done in the mining space. So other mining companies in the lithium space are now encouraging and partnering rather with other lithium companies to ensure that we have the necessary minerals for the uh, energy transition. Okay. And, I, and, and during this conversation, I do want to you know get stuck into your business model. Okay. You, you have been a Mongolian story, but you're now also a Canadian story. But let's start with Mongolia first. Did you feel the need to kind of pivot away from Mongolia or has Mongolia still got some real value? Uh, no, not at all. It wasn't a pivot at all. Uh, the North American acquisitions were made because they were in a jurisdiction that has had work done since the 70s. We've had some very successful practitioners and drillers out there, such as Nick Power, putting out fantastic results on, a, on, a, on an almost weekly basis. Uh, so it's a proven jurisdiction. It was an asset acquisition for the company that cost us $127,000, 100000 of which was in paper and $27,000 of which was uh, for staking fees. So massively non-dilutive to our shareholders, but it allows us an opportunity to accumulate land packages in a proven jurisdiction that may ultimately be consolidated or perhaps we find something larger than our peers uh, in that jurisdiction. Okay, but let's answer the question about is there real value in the Mongolian assets? And I don't know which one you want to start with yeah, first. Yeah, no, we can start with Mongolia, certainly. I think, you know, okay. Mongolia, we were first movers. Ion Energy was the first person to say, hey, there's lithium in this country. And that was way back in 2017. In 2018, we reviewed a lot of data from the University of Science and Technology in country, and we actually found that there were occurrences of lithium. In 2019, of course, we obtained our first license, Pavayul. 811 max grade there. We ultimately drilled it after going public, 1502 BPM. Um, and then in 2021, we acquired Urgat Naran, which is sort of uh, our crown jewel today that has indications that are mirroring what you'd expect to find in Centenario and what have you. Now, to answer that question succinctly, uh, Matt, Mongolia is a jurisdiction that is getting a lot of interest in the lithium space. And we know that because the government of France recently allocated a sum of money to explore for lithium in country. They signed a $2 billion deal for uranium. The Chinese, by way of Sinoline, acquired 51% of a private lithium operator in country. So yes, we were the first flag bearer in country. Uh, but today, we're seeing governments as well as major national or multinational companies look at Mongolia as a destination for lithium. But the French are desperate. Niger is sort of effectively blown up in their face. In their face. They are a big you know, nuclear... Uh, energy uh, producer for their own needs and, and Germany. Um, lithium is abundant everywhere. So who's going to step in other than the Chinese for you guys? And, and maybe is that part of the problem? That, well, you've got the Koreans. Uh, they've signed a, an agreement with the US government to exploit critical metals in uh, Mongolia as of this summer. Uh, we also have the, the Japanese. Mitsubishi built and operates the airport in country. Uh, I meet with their liaison when I'm in Mongolia. And he actually speaks to me about you know the potential for critical elements in countries. So the Japanese are quite keen. 
uh, the Taiwanese as well are looking at Mongolia, let alone the Indian government. I think the Indian government is is one that uh, constantly gets sort of pushed aside when it comes to critical metals. Uh, but if anybody has been following our story, we recently renamed our company to Lithium Ion Energy, purely because there is a battery manufacturer in India named Ion Energy. So they are actually looking in Mongolia currently for lithium as well as other battery metals, copper and nickel included. So the, the plethora of, of potential investors is rather large. China, yes, makes sense on our doorstep, but the rest of them absolutely um, are paying attention. Right. So what, what I'm trying to get down to is why are you getting some kind of discount applied to you? The, the Mongolian discount, one can, one can say, the Chinese discounts, because North, North American uh, critical minerals messaging seems to be you you got to work with France. If you work with the Chinese, the money may not be available to you. Investors likewise, retail investors likewise, they just really haven't wrapped their head around Mongolia. What would you point them to? I think the first sort of discount, absolutely, Mongolia. As first movers, it's up to us to prove that lithium exists in commercially viable quantities that can be brought to production. That's something that we're working down the path of, and we believe we're almost there. The second aspect of things is indeed, yes, the, the Chinese angle. Uh, the government of Canada around this time last year announced a divestiture order for three lithium companies that had assets in Chile. Uh, two of which had assets in Chile and one had assets in Canada. Uh, that ultimately led to these organizations ensuring that the Chinese investors that held between 9.9 and 19.99% of their companies divest uh, their, their, their holdings in those organizations. That ultimately led various Chinese entities that I had been, of course, working with uh, for a number of years to shy away from the negotiation table with Ion Energy because they felt they would not be able to invest in Ion at the pubco level. Um, this summer, the government of Canada, through Minister Champagne, reversed that decision for Lithium Chile. And what they said was, we have no jurisdiction over a sovereign nation. And that's valid. You know, it, It's up to me to, to fund uh, the necessary capital to advance my project. And if the Canadian government's not going to do so, then I'm going to tap onto the shoulders of various other parties, including the Chinese. Now that that decision has been reversed, uh, the discount continues to remain because of what's happened in the past, but of course, because we're on this path now of trying to uh, obtain um, a, a, a resource that would be commercially viable. Uh, but of course, we don't want to do that at the pubco level and be massively diluted. And this is why I believe our, our share price has taken the direction that it has, and we have uh, planned or we have thought out various ways that are creative, non-diluted to ultimately recognize that value in our assets. Okay. And I will come I will come to that, but let, let, let's get back to the, the and, and I understand that answer as well. Um, let's just get back to the two projects. Let's start with um, Braval Ul uh, in terms of just remind us of the sorts of grades and how much work has happened there to date. What do you know? So it's 81,000 hectares, about 60 kilometers wide by 20 kilometers tall. It's in Sukhbatar province, which is a, uh, a province in which we're, Mongolia is building the largest wind farm in Asia. So it checks that ESG box, but it is rather difficult to get to. It's 23 kilometers from the Chinese border. It's flatlands. So you're not traversing you know, Chile and Argentina. It's relatively flat, but it's a long way out. 23 kilometers from the Chinese border means it would be very viable for a Chinese partner. Uh, the work that was done historically was very early stage auger drilling um, and sample collection that yielded results of up to 8 to 11 ppm in clays and evaporites very close to surface. Uh, we then went in shortly after we went public and we drilled 222 very shallow auger holes again across that entire asset. We did this very rudimentary scratch the surface program because we couldn't get our, our experts like Don Haynes and Mark King over the country to help drive the exploration of lithium. 
In that drilling, we found grades of up to 1,502 ppm lithium. And if you were to compare that to Sacker Pass in Nevada, 2,500 ppm is what it from it was given funded in, in the magnitude of $700 million from GM for. So at 1,500, very close to surface, the potential to find better grade below surface as well as conduct geophysics and ultimately perhaps drill some water wells, uh, that would allow us to dictate what the value is beneath surface. But at 1,502, still very credible, still very exciting. But we paused work there because in 2021, we acquired Urgat Naran, which is the second project that we're going to speak of. Urgat Naran is 29,000 hectares. It's in Dorngovi province. It's located seven kilometers from the closest town, which is power infrastructure. It's located within 50 kilometers of a rail link between Beijing and Ulaanbaatar. So from an infrastructure perspective, absolutely phenomenal. We get out there for the first time in April 2022. We collect a brine sample on surface that's 918 milligrams per liter, which is on par with some of the best assets in, in LATAM today. We then did a 109-kilometer geophysical program, TEM, Trans-Electromagnetic. What we found there was a volume indication of 9.9 .9 billion cubic meters at half an ohm cutoff. Why that number is relevant? You look at the likes of Alpha Lithium that just got acquired by Tech Petrol for $220 million. At 6 ohm cutoff, they had 1.9 billion cubic meters with a grade just over 200 milligrams per liter, giving them an inferred resource of 2.1 billion ton LCE. We've got 9.9 .9 at half an ohm, about 12 orders of magnitude, more conservative than alpha lithium. Our grades on surface are 918. And as a result of our scale being significantly larger than that of alpha lithium, of course, there's a lot of upside here that is not reflected in our, our market cap, which we think will change. We then drilled three lithological holes on the project. And those lithological holes were required in order to understand whether the, the hole struck actually contains lithium. In that drilling program, we found grades of 320 ppm over 100 meter intercepts on all three holes drilled between a kilometer and a half and two kilometers apart. What's that shown us now is a direct comparison would be Albemarle Silver Peak in Nevada. Uh, you know, th their average grade when they conducted this drilling program, the only operating brine asset in North America today, had an average grade of 121 ppm. We're at 320. We're almost three times higher than the only operating brine asset in North America today. So we've advanced that project from Greenfield, where no work was done on it at all, to now a volume indication that is commercially viable with grades almost three times higher than the only operating brine asset in North America today. Okay. It, it kind of feels like you've said a lot there. And I'm just wondering if it's a lack of news in the market or people don't understand what you're bringing into market in terms of that narrative. Um because the the quality of, of what work you have done is good. The great the, the, the great the grades are good. Your extrapolating uh, extrapolations are, are, are good, but there just have hasn't been a lot of it. It feels is that a, a kind of because you've been cash constrained in, in some way to are some degree. Down a little bit for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cash constraint is one thing. Uh, you know, the announcement from the government of Canada last year really put us on the back foot on defense. Uh, we were we had um, agreements signed at a significant premium to market today for 9.9% of our company that would have provided that strategic or a group of strategics, a rofer on development and ultimate uh, exploration on our assets. Um, today, having trading at, at you know a fifth or, or, or less of what that number was, um, it's vastly diluted for us as a company. So we've had strategics visit our site, uh, you know, from various parts of Asia, including Europe. Uh, which is not part of Asia, but you see where I'm going with that. So we are working with various strategics. 
they've visited our site. Um, we've had this downturn in the market that's driven our price down. And we're at this position now that, you know, as a company that is held by management and insiders to the tune of 25%, we feel the pain alongside our shareholders. We're not going to do a massively diluted deal to give up a bit of our popco at these levels. And so we've had to get quite creative. And the way we're doing so is looking at asset level investments, which allow an entity to invest at the asset level to help advance the asset but providing a treasury event to the company for us to focus on additional targets, not only in Mongolia, but elsewhere in the world that we've identified. Okay, please explain that a bit more because I understand the investing at asset level. What does that do in terms of dilating any further upside? Not, not cash dilutory, but in terms of the upside later on, or is this a factor of, look, you got to be in the game to play the game, or you know, you got to be at the table to be able to play the game, however you want to look at it. That's precisely it. You know, okay. At the asset level, um, Mongolia as a country is vast. It's one and a half million square kilometers. We've looked at the geology significantly. We've also said, hey, these are areas of interest that we believe contain lithium. Uh, we are first movers in Mongolia for lithium. We want to continue to be the pathway for anybody looking for lithium in Mongolia. And so giving up a portion of our asset today that is Urgak Naran, we would be uh, we would experience a treasury event in which we would uh, have a fair bit of cash coming to the company for giving up a sum of our asset. Though that, that cash component would be deployed to acquire additional targets in country that we've already identified. It would also be used to expand work on Bavayul, uh, the very early stage project that we have not spent a lot of time on, but we think has significant value. Um, we would ultimately, should the strategic opt to buy us out after a set uh, arrangement of terms that we put out to them, we would still maintain an MSR on the asset. So if it were to go to production, we would still have a royalty on any lithium generated from that asset. So yes, it is a way of us uh, uh, sort of you know staying at the table and ensuring that we have a seat at the negotiating table uh, as we go on. Uh, but unfortunately, it is a, a matter of the times. And I think that the value that we're looking to obtain at the asset level uh, will be something that our shareholders, including ourselves, uh, will be uh, very pleased with. Yeah, look, I have no problem with that strategy. Being being agile and being nimble and reacting to market conditions is is critical um, here. So I, I, I get it. Um, makes sense. Um, and, and I guess that the, the market will be what it, what it is. Now, clearly, everyone got a little bit excited back in October. Prices were at an all time high for lithium. The, everyone's kind of, I guess, um, had a dose of realism since then. But you know. In that period, post that period, you've picked up these Canadian assets um, up at uh, Yellowknife. Obviously, you mentioned Lyft being like a corollary for um, you know how um, uh, well how much lithium seems to be outcropping at surface on, this, on these pegmatites. So, um, what again? What have you got? What did it cost you? And again, and honestly. Is it a case of you think Mongolia could fund something more relevant to the North American market in the shape of these these lithium pegmatites at the Yellowknife? I, th I think uh, it certainly can if we had that that event whereby we're, we're selling a portion of our asset in Mongolia. But uh, you know, with Canada, we have what's called flow through funding, um, and flow through funding, of course, is a, a way to tap capital that that is otherwise unavailable, and of course, is done at a premium to your market price, so you're reducing dilution significantly. Uh, we acquired the assets this summer, and then, of course, we had some forest fires in Yellowknife, um, which ultimately led to us not being able to do any work on our assets in the Northwest Territories. But we didn't pause there. We acquired high-res satellite imagery of our assets. We've identified our pegmatite outcrops uh, using that satellite imagery. 
we're going to wait for the snow to melt in March or April of this year. And prior to that, probably do a small flow through funding component when we're trading at higher levels that will fund the exploration program on these assets. Uh, the acquisition cost, as you, you've asked, uh, Bliss Lake, which is our 5,600-hectare 50, uh, license. That was our first acquisition up there. It's located 10 kilometers from Yellowknife and another 10 kilometers from Lift Power. So it's right in between, smack in the middle between Lift Power and Yellowknife. Uh, you've got road just south of us there. Uh, it's on Crown land, and it's a contiguous piece of land. So it's 5,600 hectares, contiguous piece of land. Um, we have seen the pegmatite outcrops and when we are funded using flow through funding um, in the spring we expect to do some rock chip and channel sampling on the asset as i mentioned we have identified our targets uh, and that will ultimately allow us to bring uh, to market the assay results of what we find there and then perhaps look at uh, turning a, a, a drill uh, we, we won't drill you know we won't have three rigs going at any time we're a smaller company than lift uh, but one rig i think is sufficient to generate enough news flow there to show the value of that project our second asset, which is the uh, Little Nahani Triangle, is 900 hectares, and that was uh, acquired using a, a you know traditional staking program. We sent a team of uh, folks out there. We staked it for $27,000. Uh, it is adjacent to uh, Lake Wind Resources uh, that is already operating in the region that has had some significant results. So, it's 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 peripheral certainly, but it is uh, it follows the ethos of the company, which was find lithium where it will be consumed. Mongolia was founded because we wanted to provide lithium to the Chinese or the Asian market, as opposed to ship it halfway across the world from Asia and Lat uh, from Australia and Latin. In much the same remit, uh, the Northwest Territories allows us to serve the North American market. Okay, what what's the because it always comes down to you know what the plan is. What what do you think you guys are thinking? See, I think you've explained to me certainly partially what what your what your thought process is for Mongolia, for Canada. How do you move this from a case of being perception of jumping on the bandwagon like everyone was all of a sudden lithium pigmentites was de rigueur, to doing enough to actually show people that it's worth something and doing it in an ex expedited time frame because it seems to me that is one of the kind of critical components. How how do you how do you, what do you view as the kind of critical components from Mongolia and Canada in terms of you know unleashing the value? Yeah, I think you know when we started Ion, um, it was on the fall of Namaska and various other hard drop pegmatite people that that ultimately went belly up as of cost overruns and, and hard drop being an expensive process, and so lithium brine was of interest to us, and we went to Mongolia looking for brine. We ended up finding Bavayul, which currently today looks very much a clay evaporite project at surface. We have not gone below surface, so we don't know what's there yet. We also acquired Urgak Naran, which is typically a brine project. It checks all the boxes, and, and, and now we have a clay project, we have a brine project, and we have hard rock in Canada as well. So we're, we're hedging the three mediums that lithium exists in today. Will Mongolia, the, the, the uh, sort of uh, event that, that will transpire into value, would be validation from a third party coming in that says, hey, I've built a lithium mine around the world. I've looked at your data. I think this is buildable. It is commercially viable. We know you have a rock star team of geologists between Don Haynes and Mark King, but we agree with what you're doing. And as first movers, we now validated the work that you've done. So that'll be the first re-rate that we get uh, as a result of the company being significantly uh, recognized by, by various peers. In the Northwest Territories, I think we have uh, a significant amount of value already being derived from our peers in the jurisdiction. 
such as Lift Power. I think we have the potential to do some work with Robchip and Channel and then ultimately a couple of drill holes there to show significant value. And I believe that they, the assets in Canada would serve as a consolidation opportunity for some of these larger players that are in our, our sandbox, such as Lift Power or Piment or anybody else that's up there right now today. So it's a it's a way for us to, to have a liquidity event for the company to focus on Mongolia, which is our focus. Um, we've, as I mentioned, identified various uh, targets in Mongolia that we will go after uh, when the treasury is in a better position. And we've been uh, in a position to validate exactly uh, uh, what kind of uh, lithium we have in Mongolia today. Okay, look, Ali, I appreciate the, the update. I wanted to talk to you because I think it was, it was a case of, I think you guys have got good assets, right? And I just think timing is also important. Unfortunately, you can't control control that. So yes, the Canadian government maybe didn't do, did you a disservice there in terms of their announcement, and hasn't helped. So we're here to we're here to sort of follow you on a journey, and I want to I want to try to want to try and understand the business plan, the strategy for doing it. As you say, you know, can you get that strategic on board to endorse and validate your your thinking in Mongolia? You know, and what will be will be in terms of flow through for for Canada. So I appreciate your time uh, today. Do stay in touch. I'm intrigued to say you know how you navigate the course forward. Lovely, thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure.